Hello and welcome to Retrieving the Social Sciences, a production of the Center for Social Science Scholarship. I'm your host, Ian Anson, Associate Professor of Political Science here at UMBC. On today's show, as always, we'll be hearing from UMBC faculty, students, visiting speakers, and community partners about the social science research they've been performing in recent times. Qualitative, quantitative, applied, empirical, normative, on Retrieving the Social Sciences, we bring the best of UMBC's social science community to you. As social scientists, we often like to think about the role of institutions in shaping our daily lives. From federal government agencies like the IRS to local institutions like the DMV, to civil society institutions like churches and rec leagues, formal and informal rules and arrangements help to explain our behavior as individuals and as members of groups. On today's episode of Retrieving the Social Sciences, we return to a type of institution we've recently covered on an earlier episode with Nobel laureate David Card. We're thinking about colleges. But there's a twist. This time we're discussing community colleges, or two-year institutions of higher learning. These colleges help train the workforce, they help aspiring learners bridge the gap between high school and a four-year degree, and they generally play an incredibly unheralded role in our society. But how do these schools get learners from point A to a valuable degree? That's exactly the question that today's guest is interested in understanding. Dr. Takashi Yamashita is an associate professor in UMBC's Department of Sociology, Anthropology, and Public Health. Trained as a gerontologist, Dr. Yamashita's research interests are diverse and span many topics in public health and sociology. His new research focus on community colleges has already paid dividends, as Dr. Yamashita and co-authors have recently been awarded a $1.4 million grant from the U.S. Department of Education to study pathways to success in community college STEM education and job training. Dr. Yamashita's extensive expertise in research methods has led him to propose an ambitious project with both qualitative and quantitative components. In my recent interview with Dr. Yamashita, we talk about this project, where it stands today, and how it might reorient our understanding of the value of community college as a starting point for lifelong learning. Let's listen in. Professor Yamashita, thank you so much again for agreeing to be with us. I'm really excited to have you here to talk a little bit about this interesting institution in American society, which, you know, I think is really important, right? This this uh, community college institution in America, um, you know, it's it's really important. I think we as faculty tend to recognize that. But, you know, I think in popular discourse today, it does seem to be pretty overlooked. And so my first question to you today is, uh, what really got you interested in community colleges as a subject for your scholarly work? And why do you think they're so commonly overlooked in popular discourse? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, to answer your first questions, I think uh, it's partially due to social and economic changes that happened very rapidly in the last couple of decades, uh, particularly, you know, as we all know, uh, the information and communication technologies, they have advanced quite fast and it's most of us will have a hard time just keeping up with it. So those social uh, economic changes 
probably have changed the way we look at what we call human capitals. Or in other words, that's a valuable knowledge or skills in an economic context. Um, I was looking at recent uh, data from U.S. Department of Commerce um, showing that uh, about 20 to 25 percent of, uh, you know, commonly known as STEM jobs, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics-related jobs, only require two years uh, associate degree. 25% of those jobs only require yeah. associate degrees, is that right? Yes. And then, uh, right, society needs more uh, STEM workers with a two-year associate degree, but at the same time, the public view uh, on the educational attainment in terms of job qualification uh, doesn't seem to be updated yet. So I think the public view is sort of uh, lagging uh, behind uh, what's happening in our society. Um, so that many people still think that, uh, you know, for in order to have uh, high skilled jobs, you need to have four year university degrees. So that may be the reason why uh, the community college tend to be overlooked. Interesting. So what you're telling me is that there's a lot of jobs out there that people could get if only they, you know, succeeded at obtaining a community college degree, you know, a quarter of the jobs in STEM. But but nevertheless, I think we have the public perception or the assumption in our minds that every STEM job is something that requires, you know, advanced training. Um, you know, you're, you're going to work at NASA or something, but that's not necessarily the case. That's exactly right. And then, in fact, the community colleges uh, offers a lot of uh, 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 certificate programs and that may be even sufficient for entry-level uh, STEM jobs and then those jobs tend to pay a little bit better than sort of equivalent jobs in a non-STEM field so I think there are lots of opportunities but it seems like public view has not uh, caught up yet. So that's really fascinating and you know I think it, it speaks to the importance of this topic and you know, I, I really think that the U.S. Department of Education certainly agrees with with me and with you that this is an important topic, you know, most notably because they've given you this one point four million dollar grant that you recently received. And first of all, congratulations on that. That's an incredible achievement. Um, but of course, now you've got the grant. And so it's time to go to work and actually do some of this work on uh, studying community colleges and STEM education. Um, and so I kind of want to ask you just to get started uh, thinking about this grant. What are some of the big research questions that you're interested in answering uh, with this with this grant project? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. So in this new grant uh, from U.S. Department of Education, uh, specifically uh, Institute of Education Sciences, also known as IES, uh, our research team is working to address this one overarching question. Uh, so that's uh, what I see as a problem in the current situation is the community college uh, graduation rates. Um, although depending on what kind of uh, program or certificate program we are looking at, uh, the recent data from uh, National Center for Education Statistics show that uh, less than 20% of community college students graduate within two years. Even after four years, only about two in three, uh, one in three community college students graduate. So, you know, we are seeing the extremely low graduation rate among community college students. And this is much lower than the four-year university graduation rate, which is typically around 60% after six years. So uh, based on our previous work, uh, we see there are a series of explanations for this low graduation rate. Um, but at the same time, we believe that one of the most important explanations is what we call college readiness. 
specifically uh, the basic skills. Sometimes we call this uh, information processing skills or foundational skills, uh, such as literacy, numeracy, or digital skills. So the, my team is working to better understand how the basic skills plays uh, the role in the context of community college education and the graduation rate, and also to better understand whether or not uh, community college education is actually enhancing the students' basic skills. Uh, one of the rationale is that uh, these basic skills are important not only for uh, community college program completions, but also for the lifelong learning, uh, especially the uh, jobs related to STEM. Uh, they require constant skill upgrading and the training in order to keep up with the technological advancement. So if you are not lazy for uh, you know, post-secondary level education, uh, there is a good chance that you may not be able to teach yourself new skills or knowledge to keep up with uh, uh, you know, STEM uh, field advancement. So that's why we are working on this issue. That's a really interesting insight there that you mentioned at the end that uh, these workers are going to have to train themselves to some extent in the future in order to stay you know, up to speed in the STEM field. And so uh, I wonder a little bit about some of these basic skills. So are we just talking about you know, the ability to do some kind of basic or higher math or are there other skills that are necessary for this kind of self-teaching? I think it's a combination of being able to read, write, understand uh, numerical information, navigate through complex uh, digital world, uh, you know, working working with people. So I think whole, all set of skills are important for the learning, but at the same time, you know, foundation of those all skills are literacy, numeracy, and the digital skills, especially nowadays. So, um, yeah, those are what, what we think are essential uh, basic skills. And then many people focus on cutting edge technologies and cutting edge research. Um, but without those basic skills, it is difficult to uh, fully understand, um, you know, advanced knowledge. And it's, it's interesting to think that a lot of the time, I think the discourse surrounding STEM is about math and is about just sort of you know, numeracy. But we're talking about skills that span the humanities and the social sciences, you know, some of these basic, uh, you know, life skills that, that we try to teach in our four year programs as well. Right. Um, across the across the college. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting um, as a way to reframe maybe the discussion about STEM is incorporating a variety of, of different disciplines uh, academically uh, to make sure that students have this preparation. So, yeah, that's that's a really uh, interesting point as well. Um, you know, I want to back up a little bit and think about the bigger picture here, which is, you know, we mentioned the, the sort of fallacy that every STEM worker works for NASA, right? And uh, I'm sure that many, many STEM uh, students who get involved in those fields have dreams of one day working for the James Webb Space Telescope or something like that. Um, but what are these jobs that we're talking about? I mean, are we talking about um, CNAs? Are we talking about, um, you know, architects? Uh, what kinds of uh, jobs are there out there that uh, these kinds of basic skills will allow people to tap into? I think most tech-related jobs and healthcare-related jobs are relevant to your questions. And this is sort of like a lot to unpack. Uh, but sure. I think particularly nowadays, the, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, data we see indicate uh, the shortage of healthcare workers. 
so despite you know existing issues such as pay level or work conditions or safety, um, I think educating and the training uh, future workforce is the necessary first step to supply qualified workforce to, for example, healthcare systems. So, uh, and our previous work uh, consistently show that uh, basic skills are linked to uh, greater job security, higher wage, and the lower risk of long-term unemployment. So, um, you know, things really change quickly in the STEM occupations, um, probably non-STEM occupations as well. So without basic skills, uh, individuals may have hard time updating their knowledge and skills. So same argument, but um, I think uh, uh, the workers need to think of lifelong learning approach rather than uh, learning everything in formal education and be done with education. Yeah, I can, th I, can, I can imagine that in the present moment, healthcare is a field that would be of a special interest to researchers and to, to, to you and your colleagues working on this grant. Because, I mean, I, I've heard from many people that I know who work in the healthcare field, there's a lot of turnover right now because of COVID, because it's just mm -hmm. such a hard time to be providing some of these services. Um, and at the same time, it also provides openings for people to start to, to retool and to think about what other kinds of career tracks within that discipline they could pursue. And so I think you're, you're really onto something by focusing uh, on sort of STEM education as a pathway to new directions, maybe. Yeah, well, one thing I wanted to add is that uh, so STEM is kind of interesting area of research. Um, there is no, no one universally accepted STEM definitions. So sometimes uh, STEM definition include uh, social science and healthcare, but some others don't. Um, but this, uh, from that uh, point of view, in terms of uh, basic skills, I think anything related to science, uh, technology, engineering, the mathematics, even including social science and the healthcare, uh, applying this type of broad definition might be actually timely at this time. So in our research, we used this broad definition of uh, STEM occupations. Awesome. And, you know, getting back to the question of your research itself, I want to ask you a little bit about the process uh, that you use to actually answer some of the questions that you have. Um, so obviously, as a podcast about the social sciences, I wanted to ask a bit about these methods. So how are you actually studying these pathways, these STEM outcomes and uh, you know, basic skills? That's a great question. Uh, so since our topic is uh, quite complicated, uh, the sure. understanding <laughs> and the linking the basic skills to academic success and the career success is uh, quite difficult job from the research standpoint. And then we believe that single source of method or information can't capture this much complex complexity. So what we are using is so-called a mixed method approach. Uh, specifically, we are using uh, three different research approaches. Uh, the one is uh, what we call uh, analysis of secondary data. So we obtained a large scale assessment data called uh, PIAC, a program for international assessment of adult competencies from the uh, National Center for Education Statistics. And the PIAC data provides series of uh, basic skill assessment results and the skill use patterns. And the PIAC data allow us to better understand distribution of basic skills as well as uh, skill used by occupations in US. So this is our first approach. Our second approach is uh, we are conducting the primary data collection. So we are specifically conducting a pre and a post test survey 
and assessing community college students' basic skills uh, over the course of their STEM associate degree or certificate programs. So this would give us a clue of what uh, students' uh, college readiness looks like from the basic skill standpoint. And our third approach is uh, we are conducting uh, qualitative interviews with uh, community college uh, administrators, faculty, and the students uh, to understand their views on basic skills, uh, post-secondary education, and the workforce development programs. So we believe that by combining these uh, quantitative approach and a qualitative approach, we are hoping to sort of better understand these complex issues and then come up with something that we can actually use in the real world. Qualitative, quantitative, pre-post surveys. It sounds like you've really got a rich uh, set of data here to work with that will hopefully allow you to overcome some of the real threats to validity that we might encounter in this kind of research. As you're describing it, yeah, I agree completely that this is the kind of research that would, would be very difficult without a mixed method strategy. Um, and so how large is this, this um, you know, data collection effort? I mean, are you doing this in specific places? Is this nationwide? Are there certain community colleges that you're focusing on? Or um, is it really limited to just one geographical area? Well, so we are uh, working with three collaborating community colleges. Uh, the two is in Midwest and one is in uh, Pacific Coast. And so these would capture uh, um, the wide range of students. Uh, we are primarily focusing on uh, broadly defined STEM programs. Um, right. So this is not going to be uh, what we call nationally representative data, but I think this would give us a strong uh, case study data uh, for the future research. So this is just the beginning. Uh, we are uh, hoping that we can sort of describe what the typical um, STEM program community college students' uh, basic skills look like, and then in comparison to the national average from the PIAC data. So that's, that's uh, one of the primary research goals. Interesting. So yeah, I could see how the even notion of nationally representative could be almost difficult to arrive at in this kind of analysis, because in all these different places with these different community college programs, we might have some, some differences. But I think this is definitely a good start in getting us to some uh, really vitally needed answers in this in this field. Um, and speaking of which, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the, the status, the progress that you've made so far on the grant. Have you uh, reach any conclusions yet? Have you performed any of this work or are you still getting started? Uh, so we have done quite a bit of analysis so far. And uh, one of the things I wanted to share is that uh, our most recent findings, that is about the yeah, <laughs> patterns of uh, the specific skill use among uh, STEM workers. Um, so the specific skill use may be related to basic skill proficiency or level of skills among STEM workers. Um, so not based on our findings, we can uh, say that not all STEM workers use, uh, for example, the numeracy skills in the same manner. So our analysis actually showed that there are a few different subgroups of STEM workers with distinct numeracy skill use patterns. So one of the subgroups tend to use advanced math or statistics skills at work, but other groups only use simple calculations. And what's interesting is that there seems to be a reciprocal relationship between skill proficiency and the skill use patterns. And the STEM workers with higher numeracy tend to use their advanced numeracy skills more frequently than their counterparts 
uh, and therefore they can maintain and develop uh, numeracy skill even further. Uh, so the entry point uh, when you get into new occupations, uh, whether you have sufficient uh, numeracy skills or not, that might even alter the opportunity to use those advanced numeracy skills. And over time, you can see that there's going to be a disparity between subgroups. Some uh, workers use uh, numeracy skills for extensive period of time and they can improve and they can maintain their numeracy skills. On the other hand, uh, if you start with the weak numeracy skills, you may not have opportunities uh, to improve your numeracy skills. So, uh, you know, maybe after 10 years, 20 years, there's going to be a huge numeracy gap. And uh, this is sort of consistent with what we know as a practice engagement theory. Uh, so this theory uh, essentially tells us practice makes perfect. So as you engage in uh, certain skill use more, uh, you actually uh, get to improve your skills. And then, you know, this is sort of similar to your muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. So it's just a matter of if you have an opportunity to practice your numeracy skills at work or in everyday life, I think that makes huge difference. And we are currently putting the report together on these findings. So we're hoping to publish that sometime soon. Fascinating. That's such an interesting insight that if you don't use it, you lose it, right? And how um, incredibly uh, predictive, I guess, the kinds of um, basic skills that are being not just brought to community colleges, but potentially inculcated in those maybe even two years of training can be so important for the outcomes over a lifespan, right? 10, 20, 30 years. It really drives home, I think, the, the importance of what you're studying here. Um, and it's also interesting that you're, you know, in talking about some of these, some of these uh, uh, skills and the notion of not using it and losing it, I want to ask you a little bit uh, about just some advice that you might have for uh, students in the social sciences who might be interested in making a career out of this kind of thing, right? The research that, that uh, we do on a daily basis. Um, do you have any advice for, for, for students that, that you might be teaching or that might be listening to this podcast in the future um, about what kinds of skills they might be able to, to inculcate so that they might be able to use those skills for their careers and not lose? Well, this is probably one of the toughest questions I can answer. But, <laughs> I, but I, I, always, think I, can... I always ask everyone the same questions. <laughs> always want to put people on the spot. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I can give it a try. And I want to give you a little bit of context. So... Um, and I probably shouldn't be telling you, but I don't think I can confidently say that I'm the expert of a community college education, even though I have I'm working on the uh, large grant. Uh, however, uh, my background in lifelong education and the research method um, helped me form a team of community college education and the workforce uh, training experts to design this complex multi-year mixed method study. So I think what I would say is to focus on the lifelong learning. So there is no education program, even at the UMBC, um, can give you all the skills and the knowledge that you need for the uh, rest of your career. So I think we should uh, focus on continue learning new, new things and uh, continue acquiring new skills. And then I think it's same to all of us, regardless of you are the researchers or not. Uh, we need to constantly learn new things. We need to read cutting edge uh, research publications and then you need to uh, update our 
research methodology uh, <laughs> constantly to keep up with uh, you know uh, the research world. So uh, my opinion for students um, becoming an independent learner or find a way that works best for you to learn new things is an essential goal in higher education. So you might be exposed to different uh, programs, different professors. If you could identify one or two ways that works for you to learn new things, I think that's gonna set, set you up for rest of your life, uh, regardless of a career or your personal life. Um, I think that type of skills to learn, teaching you, teach yourself, is essential uh, for this uh, dynamic uh, contemporary society. Lifelong learning. It's not just the uh, turning of the tassel that concludes our, uh, our, our education uh, journey in our lives. And I think that's wonderful advice, uh, Dr. Yavashita. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Uh, I think we all learned a lot uh, about both community colleges and how we might be able to enrich our lives further with education. Campus Connections. Campus Connections. Campus Connections. Campus Connections. The subject of STEM education is one that involves everything from basic skills to the R&D contributions of advanced degree holders. Today's Campus Connection takes a look at STEM education at an early and important stage. Dr. Keisha McIntosh Allen of the UMBC School of Education recently published an article in the Journal of African American Males in Education with co-author Julius Davis of Bowie State University. In the article, the pair of authors investigated ways to increase the representation of black boys and men in STEM fields of study and careers. While earlier research shows that culturally responsive mentoring for black boys in schools can have a positive impact on their trajectories in STEM fields, out-of-school STEM programs can also have a major impact. According to the authors, building meaningful relationships and interconnected culturally responsive mentoring and instruction foster successful STEM outcomes for black boys. Pairing these early life interventions with some of the community college interventions studied by Dr. Yamashita, we can see how UMBC researchers across campus are advancing our knowledge of STEM achievement from a variety of perspectives. I'm glad to see this research on STEM education taking shape at UMBC. It's yet another program of study that has allowed UMBC to recently receive an important distinction. According to the Carnegie classifications, we are now a very high research doctoral university, otherwise known as an R1. It's thanks to the hard work of researchers like Dr. Yamashita and Dr. Allen that UMBC was able to secure this important distinction, and it speaks to the exciting new directions that UMBC social science research will take in the near future. That's all for today's episode. Until next time, keep questioning. Retrieving the Social Sciences is a production of the UMBC Center for Social Science Scholarship. Our director is Dr. Christine Mallinson. Our associate director is Dr. Felipe Filomeno. And our production intern is Jefferson Rivas. Our theme music was composed and recorded by Dewan Moreland. Find out more about CS3 at socialscience.umbc.edu. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where you can find full video recordings of recent UMBC events. Until next time, keep questioning. <laughs>